My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here. It's my honor and privilege in a moment to unpack the word uh, for you and with you. And, um, and I just to kind of set that up a little bit, I'll say that I believe that today's message absolutely has the power and the potential to transform your life if you'll let it. The truth we're going to talk about today, the scripture we're going to kind of wade through today uh, has this great potential to transform your life. And so if you'll let it, if you'll have, as Jesus says, ears to hear, um, it will transform your life. All right, let's get into the word. If you have your Bible, you can head over uh, to the book of what? Colossians. Uh, We'll pick it up in chapter 1, verse 15 in a moment. And I said a couple weeks ago, but I want you to understand why we do periodically, regularly do um, series on books of the Bible, whole series going verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Um, The reason we do that is because it, it tethers us closely to the Word of God. And we at Great Oaks believe that God's truth is found in God's Word. Do you believe that? And so God's truth is found in God's word, meaning that everything we need to know about God, everything we need to know in order to follow God, everything we need to know in order to live out his mission in the world and be changed by his Holy Spirit can be found in the word of God. And so series on books of the Bible, they keep us tethered very tightly, very closely to God's word. Now, when we do other series, we're still tethered to God's word, right? Um, So just so you know, when we do other series that aren't verse by verse through a book, um, any speaker, any preacher that comes onto this platform and, and delivers the word of God is doing so based on God's word. In other words, we don't grab a topic and an opinion from our own head and then go to the word of God and say, how can I prove that opinion to be right? Let me find some scriptures that back me up and then I'll preach a sermon about it. That's not what we do. What we do is that we look at what the Word of God says about this, then we formulate a sermon through the power of the Holy Spirit out of that. You tracking with me? So we're always tethered to God's Word, but series on books of the Bible keep us even closely, makes that even more, uh, makes that even more obvious, right? But the big win for these types of series is that if you're here for them, uh, you will learn how to study a book of the Bible, You'll learn what it looks like to climb through, wade through, plod through, verse by verse, a book of the Bible. Because while I believe that each sermon on Sunday mornings at Great Oaks Community Church has the power through the power of the Holy Spirit, the potential through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform you today forever, while I believe that is true, the bigger win for us is that you take your Bible home and open it and begin to read, and begin to study. In other words, if this is the only Jesus you're getting each week on Sundays, then we're failing. If this is the sum total on Sunday mornings, the sum total of your Bible reading, what I read to you, then we are failing. And so the win for series on books of the Bible is you leave going at the end of the series going, I can do that. I can climb, I can ask questions, I can go deeper into a, a book of the Bible. You track it with me so far? All right. Colossians. Last week we tried to set the stage uh, for our study just by giving you some context. Uh, The Apostle Paul is writing this letter uh, to a church in Colossae that he's never visited before. It's this young church, because at this time, every church is a young church, right? Every believer is a young believer. And he's writing this letter because 
somebody he knows, a believer, one of his disciples named Epaphras has come to him. He's in prison. Paul's in prison writing this letter. But Epaphras has come to him and, and said, we need some help in Colossae. We've got division happening. We've got false teachers coming from the outside and causing problems. And, and the false teachers that he was talking about, Epaphras was talking about, were, of the, uh, were Gnostics. They, they believed in Gnosticism. And basically, they were coming in saying, you don't have enough knowledge. You need some more. You need to be enlightened to the next level in order to really understand God and be saved by God. But Epaphras is going, I thought we already knew what we needed to know. And I thought Christ was enough. And so they're coming in, these Gnostics, saying uh, that Jesus is really just the first rung on the ladder, that he's the first of many emanations of God that will lead you to truth. And he's not enough. And there's many Christs. And so they're saying that Jesus is not God's only son, that he is not the creator, that the incarnation was not real, and in the end, Christ is not enough. And so the Apostle Paul sits down with his apprentice Timothy in prison, and he begins to write this letter to the church of Colossae. And his point, his theme in this letter, is that Christ, in fact, is enough. The theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ. Another way to say that is the fullness of Christ. That, that Jesus is all you need. That Jesus is, is full. It's fullness of Christ. Jesus plus nothing is the theme of Colossians. Jesus is not part of the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus isn't where some of our hope is found. It's where he is where all of our hope is found, right? He doesn't just know some things, he knows all things. Your salvation, my salvation, is not found in Jesus plus morality or Jesus plus church attendance or Jesus plus involvement in your kid's school or Jesus plus knowledge. It's Jesus plus nothing. Your salvation and my salvation is based on Jesus plus nothing, the supremacy of Christ. And you'll see that very clearly in the four verses that we're going to look at today, only four verses today in Colossians. You'll see in these verses words like firstborn, preeminent, before, above. These four verses are about how Jesus is first. And as Christians, we talk about Jesus being first in our lives a lot, right? Like you need to put Jesus first. Got to put God in the number one spot. But what do we, what do we really mean by that? When we say, put Jesus first, I'm putting Jesus first in my life. I think what we mean is that we have this, we have this list in our head. And it goes God, spouse, kids, health, job, hobbies, right? That, that's our list. God, spouse, kids, health, job, hobbies. That's, we have this list in our head. Yeah, God's first on my list in my head. For a lot of us, putting God first just means that we kind of we go to church some, we, we read the Bible some, maybe. And maybe you think of it as, as like Sundays are the first day, and so I give God the first day, and that's how I put God first in my life. I go to church on Sundays. But man, at Sunday, Sunday like 12 something, when I leave church, I'm, I don't have to worry about that. I already put God first. Now the rest from Sunday afternoon all the way through Saturday at midnight is my own time because I put God first. Some of you 
may think of it as your finances, that you put God first in your finances. You give him the first 10%, and that's how you put him first. And you think, I've already put God first, so now I get to do whatever I want with the other 90% because I put God first by giving him 10%. Maybe it's daily. The first thing you do in the morning is open your Bible after you, after you go to the bathroom, right? But the first thing you do in the morning is you open your Bible and you think, well, I gave God the first five minutes of my day, so the rest of my day is mine. He's first on this list. Most of us, it's, it's just a declaration. God is first. Is God, is God first in your life? Of course he's first. I'm a Christian. I mean, God is first. I've got this list in my head. It starts with God. I put him in the first. Whatever I have to justify God in that first position, I pour into that. And then I move on. And I say my spouse, obviously, is second. And then I'm going to put my kids third. I've got to make sure I get spouse, then kids. Otherwise, that causes some problems. And then I'm going to do health after that. I've got to be healthy. So I've got God, spouse, kids, and then my health. And I'm pouring whatever I need to pour pour into these things, then it's my job. I'm pouring whatever I need to pour into these things to justify their ranking. What do I have to do in order to make this list make sense? But what we do is we keep them separate and compartmentalized. So we build walls between each one. And once we fill this up enough to justify its ranking, we move on to spouse. And then once we fill that up, we moved on to kids. And they don't really overlap. And God is not really involved in my hobbies way over here or my job way over here because he's first and he's already been justified as first and we compartmentalize it. Are you tracking with me? That's what we do. That's what we mean when we say God is first. I keep Jesus in the number one spot on the list in my head. As long as he's first on my list, I'm good to go. But I don't think that that's what these four verses in Colossians are talking about. I don't think that the Apostle Paul would agree with this mentality that I just put Jesus first on some list. Let's look at it together. You can decide for yourself. I'll read all four verses and then we'll come back and I'll unpack them as we go. Paul's writing in response to these false Gnostic teachers, these false teachers who say Jesus is just the first rung on the ladder to God. He's just written this prayer, this amazing prayer about and for the church at Colossae. If you missed last week, make sure you get that Great Oaks Church or iTunes and listen to that prayer. Now, that's what we covered last week. But he says this, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Okay, so this is about the supremacy of Christ. Jesus plus nothing. But let's, let's dig a little bit deeper here. What does it mean that Jesus is supreme above all things? First, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus is the beginning. 
Jesus is the beginning. He says he's the firstborn. He says he's the image of the invisible God. The things that were formerly unseen are now seen in Christ. He's not a representation of God, like one of many. He is the image of God. If you want to know who God is, just look at who Jesus is. If you want to know God's character, just look at Jesus's character. If you want to know God's heart, look at Jesus's heart. If you want to know God's purpose and mission, just look at Jesus's purpose and mission. If you want to understand the love of God, Understand the love of Jesus because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Who God is, how God is, what he's like. It's not up for debate anymore. It's not up for debate. It's Jesus is the answer to that. Jesus is the image of God. It says he's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. When it says firstborn, it's not talking about physically born on earth before Adam, but rather ranking wise, he's first. He's above everyone else, right? By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. When it says thrones, Rulers, dominions, authorities. It's talking about angels. And so in heaven and on earth, the Apostle Paul is using a lot of words here to say that he, that Jesus Christ is the beginning. All things, not just on earth, but in heaven too. Things seen and unseen, everything was created through Jesus. He is the beginning. This reminds me of of John 1, where um, Jesus is called the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is preeminent and supreme. He's first, and he is the beginning. So these four verses in in Colossians 1, they point all the way back to the first verse in the Bible, right? The first verse in Genesis, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What Colossians just said and John 1 just said, and a lot of the New Testament says over and over and over, is that Genesis 1.1, Christ was there. And he wasn't just there, but he is and was the beginning of all things. That there was not one thing created in Genesis 1-1 that was not created through and by Jesus Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible, tangible and intangible, everything was created by him and through him. He is the first. He is the beginning. And we could talk about Genesis 1-1 until the cows come home, right? We can debate creation narrative until the cows come home. And people have actually done it. The cows came home and they were still talking about it, right? The cows came home. They were still debating this, asking questions like, is this a literal six and seven days? Is this, you know, is is God involved in creating every single thing or does he just spark an evolutionary process that takes millions of years or billions of years to to happen? What's going on in this? Is the the earth really, you know, timeline-wise only six to 10,000 years old or is it billions of years old? We could ask these questions and wrestle with this, uh, but not today, okay? Not today um, because we just don't have time. What's important for our discussion today, though, is not necessarily that God created everything, but what was there 
before God created everything. What was there before God? And if we believe Colossians and John 1, Christ created everything. What was there before? Look at verse 2. We have to look at the, last, the, the next verse, the second verse in the Bible. Genesis 1 verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So from verse 3 and on, we get the creation account that all of us, probably all of us, have read. And it continues with God's word. And now we're saying Jesus Christ, if we believe John 1 and Colossians 1 and a lot of the New Testament, Jesus Christ creating the universe and everything in it. We know all about that. But what, but, but, but what was there before that happened? If he's literally first, we have to talk about Jesus being first, then what was before that happened? Nothing, right? Everybody say nothing. nothing. And this doctrine, this truth, that God created the universe out of nothing, it's called ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. So I didn't make it up. <laughs> um, it's a thing. It's a real thing. Ex nihilo. It means literally out of, out of nothing. But how does this help us understand Jesus as supreme over all things? How does it help us understand that he is the beginning? Stick with me for a second. The logic goes like this. If God created the universe out of some pre-existent, primordial, eternal substance, then God is not first, was not first, and is now limited by that primordial, eternally existent substance. Another way to put it is to say that if God created the universe out of something, then he would be dependent on that something. And if God created the universe out of something, then that something would have existed in eternity with God and would deserve equal rank to God. And so if Jesus Christ is limited by, dependent on, or equal to something, then he's not supreme first beginning. He can't be those things. He's not, to use the Apostle Paul's word, preeminent. Are you with me so far? So just how supreme is Christ? How preeminent is Jesus Christ? Completely so. He is dependent on nothing. Just how far does his firstness really reach? It reaches to every corner of every planet, of every solar system, and every galaxy of the universe. Why? Because at the very beginning, when he spoke it all into existence, he did it completely and totally by himself, ex nihilo, after out of nothing whatsoever. There's absolutely nothing behind God before Christ. Nothing holding Jesus up. He created everything out of nothing. You with me? Okay, I can see some of you like, it all makes sense now. Write that down, ex nihilo. It's not how you say it. All right, it's not how you say it. You're going to be over sitting over coffee with your friend this week going, let me talk to you about the nothing, all right? Let's talk about ex nihilo here for a second. I pray that the Lord uses this truth um, just to expand and create depth in your understanding and in your faith in God. I pray it 
create some worship in your heart of Jesus who is the beginning. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, um, continues though. Jesus is not just the beginning. Jesus is also the end. Jesus is the beginning and he's the end. Look at verse 16 with me again really quick. For by him all things were created, by Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and what? For him and for him. Jesus is the end. He's the goal of all that is. Everything is for him. Everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, tangible and intangible, not only finds its source in Christ, but also finds its end there too. It's all for him. It's goal. It's purpose. It's all Jesus Christ. In the end, it all lands in the lap of Christ. Some Bible translators translate this not as for him, but toward him, toward Christ. Everything that exists, exists moving toward Christ for his glory, for him. When you look at the mountains, they're for him. When you see the sunset and marvel at the colors and the beauty, it's for Christ. When you see a unique bird fly up to your bird feeder, you're like, wow, that's a really cool looking bird. That bird was made for Jesus Christ. The angels were created for him. The oceans, their depths, and all that they contain are for him. The moon is for him. The stars are for him. The light given off by the sun and the stars are for Jesus. The orbit light lines of the planets, the the vacuum of outer space, galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy. It's all for Jesus. I thought you'd get excited. Let me keep going. Every animal, every plant, every taste, every aroma, it's for Jesus. When you step out of your house in the summer, and you don't have any shoes on and you feel the warmth of the concrete on your feet or you feel the texture of the grass on your bare feet, that feeling is for Jesus Christ. Every smile, every tear, every muscle, organ, joint, ligament, bone, cell in your body is for him. When you hug your kids and feel joy, it's for Jesus. When you feel satisfied or exhausted, after a hard day's work, that's for Jesus too. It all began in Christ, but it all ends there as well. It pushes towards him. And listen, beloved, if you'll get this, it can be life transforming because now everything has meaning. Everything is moving towards something bigger than you. There's something bigger going on. Now you're not just existing or surviving. You're not stuck in place. But everything is moving towards Jesus Christ, for Christ, for his glory. If you'll let this sink in, that Jesus is not just the beginning, but the end of all things. It can bring a lot of life to your soul this morning. It could be a warm blanket on a cold day. It can be that thing that tethers you, your life, your family. The things you do every day, it can be that thing that tethers you to something stronger than you, something solid, something that endures. 
My heart longs for you to get this. Some of you are living for nothing. You're living for nothing. You're living as if it's all random. You, you're chasing after the wind, trying to catch the breeze. And it's a devastating existence. Everything is random and without purpose or meaning. No larger plan, no larger reason. But the truth is that by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus, not only the beginning, but the end too. The Apostle Paul doesn't stop there, though. Jesus is not only the beginning and the end, but he continues, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and writes that Jesus is the now. He's not only the beginning and the end, he's also the now. Look at verse 17, and you'll see what I mean. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. In Jesus Christ, all things hold together. He's not just the beginning and the end. He's the middle too. He's the the now. He's not only created all things and will in the end call all things back to himself, but he also sustains all things right here and right now. He did not create the universe, set the world spinning, and then walk off to come back at some predetermined date. He didn't create systems that would work and continue to to keep the earth working while he was gone without his presence. He did not create some angelic machine in heaven that's shooting down embryos to earth. That's not the way it worked. He created everything, but he also sustains it all. He's the beginning, the end, and the now. He is intimately and directly involved in holding everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, tangible and intangible, together. Everything. If he walked away, everything would cease to exist. Scientists tell us that on a subatomic level, that among protons and electrons, that there is this, there's this vast space. Comparatively, it's a, it's a lot like planets and stars whirling through the vastness of outer space. It's a lot like that. So there's this vast space between protons and electrons on the subatomic level. So what's if there's space there, what's holding it all together? There are theories. Scientists have theories, but nobody really knows. Just think about that a second. According to Colossians, it's Christ. The answer to that question is Jesus. Jesus is holding it all together together. Together, 
The planets, the stars, the ecosystems, the the body's circulatory system, immune system, nervous system, every cell and every plant, animal and piece of matter and every corner of every planet and every solar system in the universe is held together by Jesus Christ. He sustains it all right now, currently. Your emotions, your thoughts, your ambition, your creativity, your capacity to love, forgive, show mercy, build, and cultivate. It's not only given to you by Jesus Christ. It will not only in the end land in the lap of Jesus Christ, but right now he is actively and intimately involved in holding it all together. Isn't that crazy? He's not only the beginning and the end, but the now, the now as well. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 of Colossians 1 says, and he is, Christ is the head of the body, the church. If you, um, if you are a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, then you are automatically grafted into the church, both locally and globally. And so this is saying that Jesus is the head of that church. Our one job as leaders of the church, but any Christian, any believer, uh, is to find out what Jesus wants us to do and do it. That's it. He is the head. He's the leader. He's the one we listen to. He's the one we follow. He's the head of the church. Read the next sentence. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be pre- Imminent. In everything, he might be preeminent. You see, what we do is we put Jesus or we put God on this list, right? And we say, yeah, is, is God first in your life? Of course he's first. I put him on this list. I've got God, and then I've got my spouse, and then I've got my kids, and, and then I've got my health and my job and my hobbies. And this is my, this is my list. Of course, God, I'm a Christian. Of course, God is first on my list. But what happens is that he's separate from these other things and we start to ask ourselves, what do we have to do? What do we have to pour into this in order to justify its ranking? Like if God is first in my life, how often do I have to go to church so that he would really be first in my life and everybody around me would know that he's first in my life? Like how much money do I need to give to Jesus so that God is first in my life? Like how often do I have to, like how many days a week do I have to wear a Christian t-shirt? shirt in order to justify the ranking i mean that like is one christian bumper sticker good enough or do i need the fish thing too right we laugh but this is what we do what do we have to do to justify this ranking in our head and get the guilt to go away And once we've got that gone, we go, okay, spouse is next. I really want to go to hobbies, and I really like my job, and I I really want to go to the gym, but no, spouse is next. And so how do I do this? i got to figure out how to justify. What do I pour into this? How often do I have to talk to my wife, right? How often do I have to be home? Like how much is too much? Like what do I have to do to justify this? And then we move on to kids and then we move on to the next thing and we're trying to pour into this, but it's separate. It's compartmentalized. And God never gets into these other things. They don't overlap. God's first, but he's way over here on the list. And and maybe, maybe really he's just first among equals, right? He's not really first. As long as I put them in this number one box, then I'm good to go. 
we have this idea that it's separate and compartmentalized. And what happens when we do that is it creates distance between our lives and God's work in our lives. Right? The Colossians said that Jesus is not only preeminent, but he's preeminent in all things, right? That Christ is not only preeminent, but he's, he's preeminent in all things. And so it's kind of a different way to set it up. He's preeminent in all things. And so now I'm looking at my spouse, my marriage, and I'm, I'm not going, what do I have to do to make sure this is number two? And what do I have to do to justify its ranking? But rather, I'm looking at my marriage and the way I engage with my wife and the way I lead my home and the way I submit to my husband and love my husband and the way I love my wife with a sacrificial love like Jesus. And I'm going, how can I make Jesus preeminent? in my marriage? How can I live out the supremacy of Christ in my marriage? And so I'm pouring that into Christ saying, I don't have anything separate now. I've just got Jesus. And then I'm moving down to my kids and I'm going, how am I engaging with my kids? The time I spend with them, the the way I unpack the glories of Christ, my playtime on the rug or, or going to a basketball game or a baseball game, my quality time, not just quantity time, but how am I doing that, but my question becomes, above all those other questions, how do I live out the supremacy of Christ in my parenting? How do I do that? Because I need to know how to do that because it's not Christ on a list, but it's Christ preeminent in everything. And I look at my health and I'm going, how can I live out the supremacy of Christ in my health? Not separate from Jesus, but he in all things preeminent. And now I'm getting up in the morning and I'm going to my job. And it's not separate from Jesus because Jesus isn't just number one on a list, but he's preeminent in all things. And so now on my drive to work, I'm praying, God, how can I make you supreme in my job? How can I pour everything I pour into my job into the supremacy of you in my life? How can I live out the supremacy of Christ in the way that I lead others, in the way that I work, in the way that I am led? How do I do this for Jesus, right? And then even fun time, even hobbies. We look at our hobbies and we go, man, we go to the lake and we go hunting and we do whatever, but... How can I make Jesus, how can I live out the supremacy of Christ in my hobbies as well? And now, it's not a list that Jesus is on, but it's all about Jesus. Do you see how that's different? It's not about just figuring out how to make myself not feel guilty by putting these things on a list. But Jesus is preeminent in everything. We pour that into Christ. If you'll allow the Holy Spirit to reorient your heart and your life in this way, it will not only mean that you finally fully give your life over to God, it'll not only mean joy in heaven someday, but it'll mean joy right now, joy right here. Your life will not be this random existence anymore. No more going through the motions no more empty ritual or, or worshiping the stuff that God has given you because everything you do, it will be because of Christ, f- towards Christ, for Christ, with Christ. 
Every good thing will lead you to worship Jesus who's supreme above all things. Every trial will lead you to worship Jesus who is supreme above all things. Every mile you drive, every conversation you have, every design you complete at work, every diaper you change, every dish you wash, every meal you have with your family or kiss you share with your spouse, it'll all be for Jesus who is supreme above all things. Preeminent, first, beginning, end, now. Let me close with this one last truth that you need to understand. Jesus is supreme whether you live like it or not. Your decision about him affects your life and your eternity and your joy and your purpose but it doesn't affect who he is. This isn't you grabbing God and putting him in his place. That's not the way it works. Jesus is the beginning. He is first. He is the end and the now. All things by him, through him, for him. This already is. Follow me. If that's true, then living your life for Jesus in every way is the most rational and logical thing you could ever do. Focus in for a second. If, if he is who Colossians says he is, then how irrational, ignorant, and even suicidal would you have to be to set your life up in any other way than with Christ at the head, not just on some list, but preeminent first, supreme in every single area, aspect, thought, word, action, and decision? I mean, it's the most rational thing you could possibly do, right? How irrational, ignorant, and suicidal would we have to do? We have to be to set our lives up in any other way. Beginning, end, now. Christ is preeminent and supreme in all things. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that is always true and always moves us towards you. I pray that whatever was of me in the last few minutes as we've talked, God, whatever is, was of me would fall quickly to the wayside and be forgotten. But God, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make whatever was of you haunt us, stick with us. Let it not easily be forgotten. Let us not be numb to your truth, O oh God. Lord, I guess I'm praying, Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you would supernaturally and miraculously shift the posture of our hearts to not only make you first on some list, but to live out your supremacy, Jesus, in every area of our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us right now. Let us not shy away from your conviction, acting like it's shame, but let us feel guilt where we are guilty. Convict us right now that where have we lived our lives 
in this way where it's just a list and you're just the first, kind of the, the first among equals. Where have we done that? Convict us, God, and help us to move in a different way. Help us to live out your supremacy, your preeminence in everything. I pray, God, for those in this room who have yet to give their lives over to you at all or who right now would say, yeah, I've always just done the list thing because it's easier. I mean, I just, I just come so that people think I love Jesus or to check it off of a list or whatever. For those who have yet to live out your firstness in their lives in the real, true way that you want us to, I pray right now that you would overcome doubt, you would overcome fear, you would overcome the lies, and God, that they would willingly and joyously ask you to be first and only in their lives. As we keep our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if that's you today, you have yet to do this, yet to really live for Christ in the way that Colossians 1 is talking about, yet to really orient your life in a way that like spokes on a wheel, every aspect, every decision, every thought and word all goes to Jesus Christ. If you have yet to do that, I just encourage you, don't leave this room. It doesn't matter if you've been in church for 40 years. It doesn't matter if you were baptized as a baby or as a 14-year-old or whatever, or you've never been in here and this is your first time to ever hear a sermon ever. It doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, all that matters right now is how you are living for God or not living for God. If you have, in fact, given him your life or not. If he is preeminent, if you would say that he is first and only in your life. If he's not, then I just encourage you, do not leave this place without fixing that problem or asking the Holy Spirit to fix that problem. Maybe the first step in that is you pray a prayer today, but then you go and talk to somebody at Connection Central about getting baptized this next week or, or next time we do baptisms. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I've kind of kept God in this closet in my mind, but I've not done it, you know, I've not lived for him out in the open, and that's my first step. I gotta get baptized. I wanna, I wanna say to everybody, hey, I wanna do this thing for real. Maybe it's life groups for you. Your next step is like, yeah, I just kind of a Sunday only person. It's just kind of first on the list, but man, I don't wanna live that way. So I'm going to go to a life group and get some other believers around me helping me to live the way that Colossians 1 is lining it out. Maybe it's just a prayer. Maybe it's a prayer with a prayer worker on the sides. We've got those waiting to pray for you. But don't leave here until you've asked the Holy Spirit to fix that in your heart. Lord, I pray for those, God, who are wrestling back and forth. I pray that you would give peace to the ones who have, in fact, been striving to live their lives in this way we've been talking about. But for those who have not, I pray that you withhold peace so that they would turn to you for that peace because their eternity hangs in the balance. We love you, and Holy Spirit, we trust you to do this work. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to sing one last song, and you can go get prayer at the sides after the song or during the song, but make sure you talk this over this week at your life group. If you haven't 
gotten into a life group, stop at Connection Central. That's where we do life together. We're a church of life groups, not just a church with life groups. But also, just like you've been helped to take your next step towards God today, don't let it stop with you. This week, find somebody, open the scriptures to Colossians 1, and talk about the supremacy of Christ with them. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless you. We'll see you next week for Father's Day. It's going to be a great day.